Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I'm joined by Joe Moorcroft and we are going to be discussing what dog behaviour training can teach us as parents and what sort of things that we can get from dog behaviourism and obviously it's advanced hugely in the last 10-20 years and how we can apply some of these principles to our parenting approach. And a quick disclaimer before I carry on with the podcast for anyone who is slightly freaking out already at this, in no way are we comparing children with dogs, uh, although I love dogs very much, but in no way are we comparing the two. And neither are we trying to imply that you should uh, be seeking the same kind of levels of obedience or uh, that you should be going for a purely manipulative behavioral approach with your children. We just thought it would be, Joe and I thought it would be interesting to have a podcast to see the things that we've learned as parents of dogs (laughs) to compare with the things that we've learned as parents of children because there are differences but there's also there's a certain amount of common ground I think so we thought it would be a fun podcast and perhaps you know thought-provoking and so first of all Joe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and do tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah great well thank you ever so much for inviting me and and yeah so I have been doing animal behavior and and specifically dog behavior for the best part of all coming up to about 10 years now. And I became a parent to two young boys. So one is nearly two and the other one will be nearly four. And through all of my years of doing animal behavior and, and specifically dog behavior, it has really made me start to be more aware of human behavior and it's it's just got me thinking on a, on a whole different level to the point where I will actually thank being a dog behaviorist to leading its way to my choice to then home educate my boys. Oh now that's an interesting one so how has being a dog behaviorist led you to want to become a home educator because I suspect a lot of home educators listening would think that that doesn't equate to them because obviously in in our mind home education is all about freedom and choice and autonomy although obviously again another disclaimer there's like as many ways to home educate as there are home educators and every route is is just as valid as the other one but tell us how you went from from your dog behavior research and your your sort of uh, experience of dog behaviorism dog behaviorism is that a word yeah, we can go behaviorism. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's invent new words. Uh, and how that took you to making the decision to home educate? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's a great question. It is through understanding how I think from, from working with animals where they, whilst they can absolutely communicate, they can't communicate in the language that, that you and I do. It is not a like a a spoken language it is very much through body language and for me the practice over the years of of working with dogs with having to almost try and understand all of the emotions that they are going through purely by looking at context looking at that body language looking at the the relationship that they have with with us as their, their their human companion um it made me start to parent very differently and I suppose you've got the the one label of a gentle parenting approach um I would say that that is very much the route that that we are going down with our boys and it is very much trying to understand um for example if my my eldest and my soon-to-be four-year-old if and when he has his little moments as they all do of struggling with something and then he may throw a car off my head <laughs> not, a whole, like, not a not a real life car one, car, yeah, one of those nice little toy cars although they still be hurt <laughs> um it is one of those moments where i think prior to doing all of my behavior work with dogs um it's easy to default to the the human hardwiring of, of of telling off because you know you're angry in that moment in time you are like how dare you do this to me and we take it quite personally um what I desperately try to do and believe you and me this is a, still a work in progress it is something that I have not yet mastered but I am 
I feel like I'm 80% of the way there and I still make 20% of, of poor choices. Um, but yeah, so for looking at, at that moment in time and going, right, okay, what are you trying to tell me in that moment? Because you are clearly struggling with something. And if I punish by means of just telling you off or you know removing said car, it, it's about trying to deal with that situation differently. Um, because if I'm presented with a dog that is behaving that way and I'm potentially going to get bitten <laughs> um, or they are just playing up and being a little bit silly through overexcitement or anything then I, I have to go right okay what what is going on here what what's the the crux of it or what is causing that behavior and how can I adapt my behavior choices to almost just relieve some kind of tension in the situation and then learn from it so that we can prevent it happening in future. And the more and more I do it, kind of tying it back in with the home education side is I, I already get comments from friends and family about how busy my boys are. Like they're, they're two very active outdoor boys. They, they're busy. They live up to the typical boisterous name. They're loud, they're, um, they're loving life, they're full of energy. And to imagine them sat behind a desk with certain parameters, um, kind of like constricting that, that freedom of movement. I compare that to, to dogs again, where we've got dogs in, our, in some home environments or in, in some general environments as well, where we are constricting their natural breed traits as well. So it's always looking back to what was this dog bred to do? What was this human designed to to cope with and yeah just just taking all those learnings and going how how can we do better how can we be better um and, and for me school just doesn't feel like a right approach for me personally with my boys I would feel like I would be a little bit of a hypocrite if I sent them with all of the coaching that I do for families with dogs <laughs> so for you it was the sense that your child's your children's natural instinctive response to life would be inhibited in some way by the school experience yes absolutely and that's a very eloquent way of putting my, my <laughs> no <laughs> I, I sometimes feel like my only job as a podcaster is to take is to take 10 minutes of conversation and put it into one sentence I should be a headline writer so I, love it. I love it <laughs> I, I need more in my life <laughs> <laughs> so part of me, perhaps the the controversial part of me that would like to write Daily Mail headlines as opposed to the, the Telegraph headlines, part of me wonders whether in some ways we could equate putting a child into a school with putting a dog into kennels in that it takes them away from us and it also restricts their natural movements. Or is that is that a step too far in the con in the con controversial stakes? No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's so difficult because yeah it's it's a topic that is highly controversial um and there was a show on tv not long ago with a trainer that um i am aware of when i think the headline was train how to train your child like a dog or something like that and it absolutely was not the intention that that is what you come across and i think this is where we need to be thinking about the shift in so for me personally one of my goals is to just get people thinking a little bit differently about their dogs, which in turn, I think it's about being that whole self-awareness of how your behavior choices impact another. And our dogs are sentient beings. They, they have emotion, they have feelings and the way we choose to behave will have an impact on their behavior. Um, and it's, it's trying to move away from the old school ways of, of, of training dogs really where I think it is very much obedience driven it is very much you need to be you know there's some theories suggesting that you need to be leader of the pack and you need to show them who's in control and it's very kind of like an autocratic type approach whereas actually I'm I'm much more for a democracy <laughs> I'm much more going like right how how can we almost live in this household together how can we be a team how can we actually work together as that parent-child relationship that that human animal relationship we have to work together it is not that one is better than the other it is all about different skill sets and going right in this moment my dog has actually taught me this and then in other moments I've taught my dog this <laughs> and it doesn't need to be an obedient sit down stay loose lead all of this we have to we have to think bigger picture and it's the psychology and the and the behavior side of it not any kind of desire for control 
I think that's really interesting because when you approached me about this podcast, it wasn't at all controversial in my mind because um, I have a, a dog and I have a, a reasonably young puppy, like 20, 22 months. And we've done lots and lots of training. And for me, the idea that you would parent a child as you would parent a dog is is a totally positive one because I treat my dog with love and respect and autonomy. So, and that's exactly how I treat my children. So for me, it didn't seem like a big, a big thing. But when you mentioned the headline, um, you know, treat your child like you treat your dog. I think a lot of the negativity from that kind of preconception is based on the idea that we used to treat our dogs and train our dogs in a particular way and training has changed. Now I'll give you an example is I grew up in the 1980s and it was all Barbara Woodhouse. I think that was her name. And it was a very old school approach and it was all about obedience and getting your dog to do what you wanted them to do. And then when I got my first dog, which was about 10 years ago, I got some dog training books and watched some dog training videos. And it was all about the pack mentality, leader of the pack, you're the head of the wolf pack, go into the house first, blah, 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 eat first, eat in front of them before you feed them, all this kind of stuff. And then when I got my puppy about 18 months ago, it had completely changed again and was all about play and engagement and the relationship and equality, as you say. And so because this has been my most recent experience of dog training, when you approached me about the podcast, I thought, yes, I can absolutely see how there's a crossover here because the way I, the things I learned from my time with my dog are very much things that I put in place with my children. And that doesn't feel negative to me. That actually feels like a positive. So I wonder whether you think that it's that shift in training that you mentioned, you know, that obviously we have a different approach now to dogs that means that it's much more relevant to our lives as parents. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say the last kind of 10 years of dog training has, it is starting to go into this more golden era of being more aware of the different types of, of training. And it is absolutely taking a shift in the right direction. My my gut is that it's easily going to be another 50 odd years yet until everybody is talking the way I am right now. Um, I know that there are a lot of of trainers and behaviorists out there that are absolutely smashing it and they're doing brilliant things um and i think it is it's really scary for us to kind of go out and start talking about this because it is so controversial um and the, the backlash you can get from it is a little bit scary but i feel that passionate about it that i i know i'm not doing anything wrong because it's from a place of of love it is from genuinely understanding like I genuinely listen to so many books on child behavior I've recently just um finished um Peter Gray's uh, Free to Learn and part of those books I'm going am I listening to a dog book here or am I listening to a child book because it it taps into the the behaviorist thing or like the behaviorist side of it and it's not it's not about saying that it has to be this. It's taking those little pieces, those little nuances in each of those areas and applying it in a way that makes sense to us. And like I say, for, for me, for working with, with dogs who I can't communicate with on a, on a language level, we have to have an understanding through physical ability. And I would much rather that be through them identifying that I am a safe person to be around I am a fun person to be around rather than getting frustrated because we we all know like when we get frustrated our body language will change and our dogs are very good at picking up on our body language the same way I think our children are um I see them take I see my boys look at me very differently if I start to get angry because my my body will get a bit louder or stiffer um and just seeing that little glint in their eye and I'm thinking oh god I'm doing it. I'm doing that human thing again, where it's hardwired in me to get frustrated and kind of do the things that we've all been done before, which is consequences to your actions. If you keep doing this, you will lose this. If you keep doing this and, you know, tying it back into a, a, a school thing, we have detentions, we have, we have blockers to try and stop people doing certain behaviors. Whereas I, I coach all of my families um, from the dog side of it, and it is genuinely starting to take this shift into how they're interacting with other humans in their life of let's try and stop thinking what we don't want and start thinking what we do want. Because it's so easy for me as a, as a behaviorist to go out and for people to say to me, right, I don't like my dog doing this. I don't like them jumping up. I don't want them to do this. I don't want them to be an aggressive dog. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm like, great. 
what do you want? And people just don't know how to answer that question because they're like, uh, well, I, I don't want any of that. And I'm like, but yeah, but we can't communicate what we don't want because you end up in this constant no cycle then. But we can communicate what we do want and tying that all in with, I don't know, I just, I try and envision my boys being sat at school and I know the school will be going, well, I don't want you getting up out of your chair and I don't want you interrupting the class and I don't want you disrupting them and I don't want you I don't want all of these things because it's going to impact several other members within that group and it doesn't take into account the individualistic learning um and again we we do see that with dogs I have people say to me well I've had dogs all my life or I've had a certain type of dog and I know how they work but again they're individuals at heart they are very different the same way that we all are as as humans I've got two huskies they're the same breed they are not the same dog I do things differently with them I have to look at their behavior and go what do you enjoy and what don't you enjoy what food do you like and what food do you like um and taking all of that into consideration and then just adapting it and blending it all together so would you say that the main one of the main reasons that you like the that you get things from the dog behavior approach that you take into parenting is partly because dogs can't communicate with us and then when children are very young they're they're not also able to communicate with us verbally and would you say that that there's like a time period when it works as an approach but then perhaps when the children are older and more able to communicate that it's less helpful yeah it's um it it is another great question it's for me, knowing that dogs, um, they kind of realistically, from a, a brain development point of view, they are similar to toddlers up to about, I mean, I think on average, they say around three to four years old, but there are dogs that are nearer five and six years old, depending on um, how much you work them and just the type of dogs that they are. You know, there's examples of of amazing collies that understand like thousands of words. Um, but then I'd say average is your typical four to five-year-old toddler um so the similarities there for me are yeah it is similar from a a brain development point of view you can see them trying to figure out what's going to work in their favor and how can we communicate in a better way um for me it is it's starting to become a little bit more second nature on just my awareness on how my behavior impacts another even to the point where um me and my husband we, we try and just be kinder to each other by looking at how our body language is telling the other something in certain situations and we all know it we all we all do it um but having that acute awareness of oh you're doing like a little body shift there you're you're not comfortable in this situation i don't need you to verbally communicate that to me how can i help you either get out of that situation or how can i assist you in it to make you feel more comfortable um and even just the the language choices we we use with each other um it's something my, my husband's always taking the mickey out of me because uh, my clients start to sound like me with my language choices. So when our dogs are doing something that we really like or they're just doing something and we've not necessarily had an impact in it, we'll go, like, oh, my God, look, at that. that was a really nice choice. That was a lovely choice. And it's that type of behavior rather than going like, oh, God, no, I don't like that behavior. No, stop it. Leave it. Get down. All, all of the negative stuff. It's going, Night, that was a really lovely choice. Well done. That's great. Awesome work. And you're almost kind of like coaching yourself to be a bit more positive. And then that just has massive impacts on, on everything and, and everyone. And certainly for me with the, the age my, my boys are, um, I've been feeling a little bit run down of late because I'm also doing a behavior degree at uni full time on top of the business and the kids and, you know, life in general. Um, and I was a little bit run down and I could feel myself having a little bit of a shorter fuse to which I saw the impact of the behavior on everybody in the household. Like Darren and I were bickering a lot more. Um, the kids were not making the best behavior choices. And again, it's this language of like, they're not being naughty. They're not making the best behavior choices because of the behavior around them. Um, and when you start to articulate in that way, I'm going, oh, what choices are we making here? Is it because of a reason? Um, and I think that 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 applies no matter what age the children are or the the other humans you're hanging around with it's being mindful of how you impact somebody else 
I think you're right because I think as parents of as a parent of two teenagers, um, I can safely say that even the most well-adjusted, articulate teenager will struggle to articulate their thoughts to you as a parent and often to anybody because they can't really get their thoughts in order themselves. Children try their very best and and even as adults, when we have a lot going on in our head, it's very difficult to articulate how we're feeling and what we're thinking. And so I think I think you're really right that it's about picking up on uh, cues. It's picking up on um, your kind of intuitive sense of of what's happening and how they're feeling and what they're going through, and then trying to work your way through that and think, okay, like you know, what is behind this these behaviour choices? You know, what are the things that are triggering them? And one thing you mentioned that really resonated with me, which is definitely something that I learned from having my puppy. Um, and bear in mind that I got my puppy when my youngest was 13 and so I'd had a lot of years of parenting and it took me a puppy to realize this is how much your mood and your body language and your tone is picked up by people in the house and I think I had really underestimated that until I got my puppy and then I saw that unless my puppy is some weird empath and I don't think she is (laughs) dogs are very attuned to a sense of the mood of the house and I thought well if dogs are like this you can be damn sure children are like it too and as as an adult I am very attuned to it as well and so it made me realize that actually we need to kind of be aware of our own mood and how that's being picked up on. So I, I definitely, I definitely have noticed that myself from dog training and from, from parenting. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it is, it's one of those really interesting things. Like, you know, if you ever walk into a house and either a, a, a couple or a family, or there's just a tension, there's a vibe and you're like, Oh God, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? Um, it's this, it's the same thing. And again, it, it for me, it all stems from, being so acutely aware of brain development. So there's lots of science behind this as well. It is studying the brain so much to understand why we do certain things, how the how the brain actually chooses certain pathways to go, right, in this moment, we're going to do this. And in this moment, we're going to do that. And there's lots of human psychology that transfers onto dogs as well. So when I'm working reactive cases and, and aggressive cases, um, we have to look at the whole fight and flight choices and how they've become about and how we are sometimes unintentionally encouraging that to continue rather than helping them see a different way out of it because we all we all kind of reach that that impasse ourselves where we're like I actually just don't know what to do here your behavior is so out of control I don't know what to do um which is why we then default to our hardwiring of just going Oh, well, you just stop it. Um, regardless whether that's dog or child, you or another human or like another adult, <laughs> you get to that point where you're like, I actually don't know what to do with this because no one's taught me how to either de-escalate the situation or I've not practiced my own self-awareness on my behavior choices and how actually I can de-escalate this just by something that I do. I think actually another thing I would say, just for anyone listening who has children. Uh, the same age as Joe's children, which is that kind of preschool, um, cusp of school age, is that I can safely say as a parent that I was re- I, that was my worst parenting era was that age uh, that I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things that I'm very ashamed of. And looking back, I feel that I was I was thrown into mother mothering with very little um training (laughs) you know for want of a better word very very little sort of exposure to children very little sort of awareness of what I was doing and I made very bad decisions and and it's taken a number of years to get to a place where I'm now very happy and confident with my parenting but I do think there's something about that particular age and as you say dogs are generally you know brain development wise at that age all the time <laughs> you know where it's quite difficult to reason there's a lot going on you're exhausted normally um especially if i have two very close in age sounds a bit similar to you and um and there's a constant call on your time and attention and i did find that age i, I would just like to say to all parents of of children who are like three, four, five, and six, it gets a lot better. (laughs) Just keep going because it honestly does get a lot better. It's such a difficult time. The toddler years, like, you know, naught, one, two, three, I found an absolute dream. But 
yeah, there was just that little period in the middle where I did I did find it very, very challenging. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of entering into so my artist is nearing four. And again, I can already start to see just a slight behavior shift in him. Like there's a little bit of, I don't know, like he's finding his independence and he's like, no, I'm I'm quite happy doing this. I don't need to do what what you say I need to do. And for me, this is that it's that crossover to how I personally work with dogs because I am not the type of trainer that will ever advise somebody to say that you have to be in control. It is not about, it's that partnership again. Like if I ask my dog to do something, um, you know, everybody will always say, oh, my dog knows how to sit. I'm like, great. Why do they need to sit? But it kind of gets that brain going like, what, why do they need to sit? I don't know. Am I just asking for it for the sake of it? I'm like, don't know, possibly. Are you? start thinking about why you're asking certain things of your dogs. Um, so if I do find myself, because again, I'm only human, I do still make all of these mistakes. I am on a constant journey of learning. Um, if I ask my my dog to sit and she just looks at me, I'll go, actually, again, I'll question it and go, do I need you to sit? And are you able to make this choice by yourself? Yeah, of course you are. It's fine. You don't need to sit. Crack on. You do what you need to do. And similar with my eldest, like now he's finding his voice and his bit of independence it's am I asking him to do things for the sake of that hardwiring parent <laughs> nature that just naturally flows through your system of going like well I'm because I've asked you because I'm the parent you you must do this uh, why and actually does it matter if he has a little bit of air quote control at that moment in time no because that's life to me I want to encourage them to, to go through life and go yeah question it if you need to listen to it where you you do need to as well but find that balance of working together as a team um and yeah just just being considerate of that development and seeing how they they do grow with age and it's it's really interesting and you know linking it back in with that language choice I was saying earlier I'm modeling that behavior with my boys because I hear my eldest now start to say things like I didn't make a good choice today mommy um, I think I was a bit tired I'm like oh well done you're recognizing it though so yeah okay you didn't make a good choice but at least you know it was a it was a behavior choice and it's not you I think it's something that's come to light recently and I can't remember where I was either reading it or I was having a conversation with someone um but again how our language choices can affect somebody else so if you're constantly calling someone silly um and you know they're the, the boys the age they they are they they are they do do silly behaviors but they are not silly so it's yes your behavior choice was silly that's fine in certain contexts but then which which silly are we labeling it and it's it's all of this awareness of being able to just be mindful that it is it's a behavior choice it's not you you can change your behavior choice I remember when I was training to be a teacher like many moons ago and it was just becoming the norm to praise behavior rather than, you know, praise the process rather than the outcome. And it, it's funny because this was like 20 years ago. And even today, it's still not really got through to mainstream. It's really interesting because I was learning it as a trainee teacher 20 years ago. I've used it in my parenting all the way through. Every now and then I hear people mentioning it, but it's not become this very pervasive thing that I thought it would, that we need to stop saying, oh, that's a really good work. That's really good work or, or well done for your A grade or, you know, um, you know, oh, look what a nice, nice picture you've drawn. And we actually need to be saying, God, it's so great how much time you and effort you spent on this. You know, I, I really I really admire the patience that you showed in in sort of in your revision. And there is even now today, it's still not this mainstream idea that we need to separate the behavior from the individual. Yeah, no, it's um, and it is, it's really interesting. So like I say, I've I recently re-enrolled back into university. I, I never did it in the standard trajectory route um, and, you know, kind of going off piste a little bit, but kind of linking it in with that home education. My my mother, when I told her that we were going to home education, like, why? And my sister's a secondary school teacher. And she's like, why? <laughs> why? What is wrong with the system? It never did you any harm, did it? Mm, and that's such a popular one. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where for me, again, linking it back to, to dogs and like, well, you know, 
even 10, 15, 20 years ago, aversive methods was the, the choice of, of training. It was, um, and I've, I've known it to be prevalent in, you know, loads of different authorities, like certain police forces as well, where they are using, um, or they were, sorry, using choke chains and prong collars and, and all of this stuff to get the dog to obey, to do this by inflicting pain. And it's like, we don't have to do that. We know better. We can be doing better. And for me, this is where it's that crossover into the, the school system that, you know, I, I've been out of the, the school system prior to the degree for about, oh God, like 15 plus years. Um, and then I've done the odd like evening class type of thing. Um, but re-enrolling into university, my gosh, I'm like, I'm, and I've done it through choice and I know what I'm getting myself into. And I'm sat there for two, three and a half hour lectures back to back and it's death by PowerPoint. And, mm. and I want to be here and I want to learn because I love learning. But actually, is this the best way? Even to the point where I am, and this is going completely off, off tangent now, but I'm on a roll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I've had to do some exams recently and like there is no way I have learned that information through the course of the semester. So I've crash revised two, three days before because it's a memory test. And actually I'm taking the bits out that I need in order to further my career and my own understanding and then tying it all in. And now I'm trying to figure out there's a reason why I've focused and I'm, I'm honed in on all this behavior stuff so much because the crossover for me is just so obvious <laughs> But I think it's because of the way I approach it. So, yeah, it's it's a whole big, interesting mix in my head. <laughs> I, th I think you're right, because I think that I think that a lot of a lot of this whole conversation, the whole reason this conversation sort of comes about is because dog training has advanced so much so quickly. Our whole approach to, to animals, actually, as a vegan, I can safely say that our whole approach to animals in society is changing in, in the UK, in the UK. I'll put it like that, right, because I've been all around Europe and it's definitely not the case there. Um, <laughs> but, but our parenting techniques, a lot of them are still quite old fashioned. I think we had a bit of a revolution in the 1960s with Dr. Spock. Yeah. And there was a kind of super nanny kind of approach, which slightly, as I feel, was quite regressive, actually, as an approach. And then as a result, we've nothing much has happened in parenting. You know, we if you parent in a different way, like, you know, gentle parenting, attachment parenting, things like that, there tends to be a lot of sympathy for it right up until your children get to about three and four. And then after that, it's like, come on now, come on, put them into school, uh, stop co-sleeping with them. Why are you still carrying them around? You know, that kind of thing. And there seems to be a lot less tolerance for that kind of thing as the children get older. And I think a lot of this reticence when it comes to revolutionizing our approach to parenting and education is exactly the argument that your that your sister said, which is that, you know, well, I went through this. I went through the system. It's like it's as if older dogs are saying, well, I was kicked. And so I don't see why you should be tra trained with love when I was trained by being kicked in the head, you know, and <laughs> Although hopefully that never happened. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of that is because we've got a generational shift that can't happen until we've had a good proportion of, of a generation go through a system that is different to the current situation. And only then will that system, can people look back and say, well, actually, I didn't go through that system and that was better. And it was better that I didn't. Because I think at the, at the moment, there's always going to be this comeback from people saying, well, I did it and look at me, it's all right. Or I got through it, you know, and it's always, it's almost like they, they, like a badge of honor, like, well, I hated it and it was awful, but, you know, it made me who I am today kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, like for me, I, I never felt that way. Like I... I mean, I try, I try and look back over my memories of, of school and in all honesty, I don't really remember the the infant junior type. I remember secondary and I hated it, um, but I hated the, I think the the social navigation of it was the bit I personally struggled with. Um, the classes I'd, I'd almost kind of like written off to a degree because there's just so many. <laughs> you just like back to back and you're almost going to autopilot, but that social interactions with people in different groups and and all of that became really tough um and again I kind of I'm always tying it 
back to dogs because there's this weird idea and I see this all the time and it'd be interesting to see if you did it with your puppy actually um when you're walking down the street do you get your puppy to go and say hello to as many dogs as you possibly can in order to socialize them I absolutely do not <laughs> well done well done that is a uh, that's something that tends to happen though and you see I've seen I've had people follow me again like oh I've just got this new puppy can my puppy say hello to your dog because we're trying to socialize them and I start questioning people now when I when I'm doing my my coaching events and everything I'm like right so I'm just going to take uh my my two well soon to be two and, and three year old down down the street if I see somebody else with a child I'm going to see if my child can say hello to their child so you know that we can do the socializing aspects I was like why it's weird they're not going to suddenly be like an absolute recluse if we don't practice chucking them into a chaotic nursery so they get to practice all of these behaviors whereas with dogs we seem to go oh you're a dog you should get on with as many dogs as possible in fact you should get on with all dogs and all people and everything so let's chuck them into daycare facilities where there are 30 plus dogs running around in a field and then you moan at the behavior that you receive at the other end because it's convenient during the week when they come back tired. But then of a weekend when you're trying to take them for a walk and your dog cannot disengage from all the other dogs out and about, you get frustrated. And it's like, well, they're practicing that more. So it's that mindset again of what are we teaching our family members what behaviors would we prefer and how can we set everybody up to succeed i want my children to be sociable i want my dogs to be sociable but that doesn't mean that they have to go and do everything on a tick list it's going it's life let's let's navigate it and let's let's learn skills and let's be aware of our emotions and it's the same for the dogs i was like if i can see that you're struggling in this situation i will be your safe person and i will take you out of it that's very interesting so would you say that for you, socialising isn't putting your child into a school so they can be exposed to like 30 other children of the same age, regardless of what the behaviours are. But it's more about teaching them their own interpersonal skills so that they're armed with those when they do meet people. And if so, and I, obviously it's not a puppy podcast, but as an owner of a uh, as an owner of a puppy, would you say then that if you wanted to socialise your puppy, in inverted commas, that instead of just taking them to like any kind you know going up to any kind of dog repeatedly saying come and you know come and say hello to my puppy that you would be concentrating on the good behaviors that you want them to have in the house yeah it's um so there's elements of if we're talking puppies socializing to me and again it's this whole big controversial thing because as a blanket generic statement, and I am not saying that everybody feels this way, but typically speaking, socializing does tend to carry this concept that it's about getting your dogs used to being around other dogs. My view on it is that we, our dogs know how to be dogs. They're, they're dogs. It'd be like a dog trying to tell us how to be a human. Um, we, do, we don't, we don't need that. They know how to interact with each other. Um, but I think we, we can almost unintentionally so with the best of intentions create some of these chaotic behaviors but that's not just from socializing there's a whole other piece on need to look at the the breed type and what they're bred to do and and all of this other stuff and diet and medical conditions it's a whole big holistic piece um but then with my children i i personally see them grow more from making meaningful connections and relationships with other people um that doesn't necessarily have to be the same people all the time i i like to think that actually my boys are quite sociable in that we are able to go out and experience life and they are not afraid to say hello and and have a go at something and for me i think that's from you know possibly going down the attachment parenting style it's one of these things isn't it it's like you're never going to actually know <laughs> it's like if i'd done a do you, you always want to run like a side-by-side comparison and go right wouldn't well, that be great what i've done or is it just who you are um so it's it's really hard to say because i i am very much that attachment you know we do co-sleep um we do we do lots of things together and i am very aware of giving them the skills to to talk about their emotions and building them up and, and trusting themselves and their bodies like my youngest at the moment i mean he puts the fear of 
life. He's going to be a stuntman when he grows up, I swear. He started jumping off the second step on the stairs into a ball pit that he pulls there himself. And you're like, but head first with no hands out. And you're like, oh, gosh. But not discouraging that. I'm just saying, right, let's, how can we do this safely? Or how can we, you know, how can I assist you? And do you want assistance? And, you know, it's, it's, it all comes down to that that partnership again. And I think that that massively impacts their ability to go out into the world and and have these social skills that are there um, and interacting with different age groups as well. Um, I see my eldest flourish when he is surrounded by different age sets. He currently goes to a um, it's it's a child led outdoor nursery um and it's going to be great because they actually offer flexi schooling so as he grows he's going to go there like two or three days a week and then he's going to spend the rest of the time with us which is pretty much what he's doing now um but just seeing him grow in being in that environment around different age children and adults and all these different interactions and he sometimes comes to work with me and he sees me on these zoom calls and he's all of that is is socializing I think you're right, because I think, you know, you said there that dogs know how to be dogs. And I think children know how to be children or actually children know how to be people. Um, And one thing I've noticed as a teacher is that when children are very young, three, four, five, they have a very instinctive ability to interact with each other. And obviously you get a certain amount of, of friction, but that's generally just because they're quite young. And so that, you know, they're maybe not not so good at sharing or they're not so good at controlling their emotions. That's literally just an age thing. But they have an instinctive ability to be able to interact with each other. And as a secondary teacher, I noticed that in actual fact, that that goes by the time they're teenagers, not because it naturally goes, but because school has removed it from them it's taken away their ability to make their own choices and it's basically said okay these are the choices I want you to make these are the choices that get you like a smiley face on the board these are the ones that will get you like missing your lunch break and things like that and they end up not not feeling confident about the choices they would instinctively make with other people and so they end up feeling really quite anxious and uh, insecure about their choices and that means that they then respond in ways with other children that they perhaps wouldn't instinctively and intuitively have done when they were younger and I think that's one thing I find with home education and obviously it's a home education podcast so I am going to be saying how amazing home education is compared to how school is so I apologize right because obviously I'm going to be doing this but one thing my children have gone to lots of home education meetups and they have never experienced prejudice they've never experienced discrimination they've never experienced um, what I would call like meanness, like mean comments. Um, in actual fact, my daughter experienced a child who was mean to her when she was about seven and he was a schooled child. My daughter also at a meetup recently experienced somebody who was making fun of an autistic child. And she was so upset and came back to me and said, I, you know, that she had no idea that people actually did this because she'd only ever been to home ed meetups. And this was a after school club. And in the home ed community, because we allow our children to interact how they would intuitively and instinctively interact with each other without this kind of rigidity. So the socializing, I feel that when you're in the home ed community, the socializing is of such higher value and higher quality because you meet all these different ages, all these different people, and you're allowed to make your own choices. It, It just feels like it's just so much more of an empowering experience. Yeah, no, it's great. And honestly, I, I'm beaming with everything you've just said, because that's, that's, that is the experience I know I will get going into this, this home education journey. And for me, that's, that's the desire and the fire in my belly that I want people to start thinking differently about their dogs, because it's the set, it's the same, it's behavior, it is not that, like we said at the start, this whole controversy of a dog is a dog. So you have to, do you know what I mean? It's almost like they're lower down on these peg. They're a sentient being. <laughs> so let's start treating them with the, we all say that we're dog lovers and we are. So let's start doing that shift with dogs that we're trying to do with the, the home ed community and going, let's just think about how we can socialize differently, how we can start to think about their needs as well. Not just what we want them to do. 
um like I say that they, they live in our homes we they're our they're our best friends they're our adopted children they are they are a part of our family and I want to be considerate of their needs likewise that they need to be considerate of ours as well because it's that partnership but it's that it's that shift in you know the equivalent of, of school in in dog training is I don't know like these these puppy classes or these certain classes where you maybe go to you know it's a you get a puppy, you go to six or eight week puppy class in a field or a village hall, you learn, you sit down, stay, bang, your dog's trained for life. And I'm like, well, no, actually, because where's the skill set to help them cope with life? Like life is changing so much. Even I struggle to keep up with it. And certainly the, the kids are going to out, you know, beat me on tech stuff in the near future because I haven't got a scooby-doo on how to do it all um but it's the same with the dogs. Like if we're struggling with life, how would how are they? coping with it as well because the more and more we keep breeding and um, which is a whole other conversation but we're breeding for looks more and more now and not taking into consideration the behavioral outputs that you're going to get we're mixing breeds that have got two very different behavioral drives in them and you're therefore creating conflict in this one being on a continuum so it's when do they choose which behavior side to to listen to and when is it appropriate to listen to their natural desire like I say I've got huskies so me teaching them to do a loose lead which seems to be like you know it's a nice standard thing everybody wants their dogs to do they're huskies they're going to pull so I have to compromise and go we need to figure out how you can get what you need on this walk and how can I actually tap into your desire which is pulling so i hate running but actually i've taken up canny cross because i love running with the dogs because it's another teamwork exercise and they get to pull so it's great so then their compromises when we go on a walk they're happy to slow down a bit because i'm giving them what they need and this is for me the the shift that aligns so beautifully to home education that i can tap into those needs and that compromise and and go through life and teach and actually genuinely get dirty in the weeds and figure it all out together because it's it's forever changing so let's figure it out <laughs> and I think that I think you know when you say about what do you need and what do I need and I think that that is so important and especially if you have a number of children I mean you and I only have two but I know quite a lot of home educators who have five plus children mm -hmm. and I think I think this idea that yes let's find out what you need and try to do what we can but let's also be aware of what i need as well and let's see if we can adapt our behaviors to each other so that leads me on joe to my final question and possibly the one that maybe my listeners feel like i should have asked at the very beginning but i've been holding off on it so don't worry i was going to ask this question because obviously i've done a lot of um podcasts with unschoolers and i know for a fact that, that there will be unschoolers who listen to this and say do you know what you're talking about all these behavior choices. You're, you're saying, oh, you know, you made a nice choice today and you, this was a good choice. And all. who is deciding what these behavior choices are? Because surely as a parent, you are basically without sort of meaning to or perhaps with me, perhaps consciously meaning to. You're deciding what behavior choices are good in inverted commas and what are bad. And so by doing that, you are taking away the autonomy from the child and you're basically saying, you know what, that was a good choice you made today because it's a choice that you have decided is a good choice rather than a choice that they have decided is a good choice. How would you respond to that? Because I'm sure there are people listening who are going to be like, yes, yes, I think, I think that, I think that. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's such a good, um, good observation because I, as much as I say, yeah, it's, it's about that language choice. It's more of that internal dialect. So I feel like I can say it to... I feel like I'm on the start of this journey with getting people to think differently about their dogs. So for them to outwardly verbalize a dog's choice is a really nice start of the shift movement that I am looking for, for them to acknowledge that you don't necessarily have to always go down this. This is what I don't want from a troublesome behavior struggle with my children. Admittedly, I did do this to begin with because it's naturally what I, I do day in, day out, it's part of my, my behavior repertoire. And then I realized exactly that comment. I was like, oh, do I, I don't want to encourage any kind of 
it's a really it's a really, it's a really weird one it is not about getting the child to do what I want all the time I want to see what they are interested in and, and all of this so I actually stopped and again I'm only, well I'm only human so I feel like I'm about 80 percent of the way there I 80 percent have stopped acknowledging outwardly and verbally outwardly saying well done good choice because ultimately it's it's the equivalent of those shiny stickers on a behavior chart but it is more about um i like to use my my please and thank you as an example i think will answer this question you start off with you know trying to teach your children manners because it's one of these things again where very similar in the, in the dog world everybody expects their dog to sit well everybody expects a child to use manners and you get these lovely phrases thrown out like what do you say what's the magic word how do you get this it drives me insane um so i I try my hardest and again about 80 actually I'm probably about 90% on this one in in our environment um we don't ask for it if they miss it okay fine we I kind of take that as information and go I oh, maybe I need to up my modeling a little bit more um so I will overuse a little bit of please and thank you more so with husband rather than the kids but also a bit with the kids if it feels natural rather than just laboring on it but again, with me being human in certain societal situations, I do find myself going, oh, what do you say? And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> why? Why have I done it? Um, but I will forgive myself because I start to look at it and go, as long as I have got credit in my relationship account, any withdrawal like that, I'm I'm in good stead. <laughs> it, it, I'm not I've not gone into an overdraft. I'm in good relationship credit. So my bad. I'll do better next time. Let me put some more credit in the bank account. When it comes to manners, I've never encouraged pleases or thank yous. And I've always just waited for them to organically appear. And when the children were younger, other adults would take it upon themselves to say, what do you say? You know, things like that. And I would turn around and I would say, no, we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, the look on their faces. And now, and now I have two teenagers who are really impeccably well-mannered. And that's because they have just they've just realized that actually that's okay that that's okay to do it's not a power struggle thing it's actually just a nice thing and I think it does you know it does just organically appear if you allow your child to make their own choices they will invariably if you trust them make the best choices yeah yeah exactly that and and you know for I get comments all the time about how my soon-to-be four-year-old they can't believe his manners and I'm like that's great I was like it's because I've never asked for them or I've done it a little bit. Um, and then I heard myself do it. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So for me, it's being aware of, again, it's all this behavior choice, but more so my own and going how, oh, look, I'm I'm doing this thing that I don't particularly like in me. Um, how can we kind of just, I want to give my boys the skills to just go through life that is going to ultimately result in the best scenario that can possibly happen for them whether that's having setbacks knowing how to come back from it um, knowing that it's okay to feel all of these emotions as well that they're not bad choices that it's not a good choice as well and yes certain things I probably will say like oh that's not the best choice if it kind of is tipping into that more undesirable behavior like you know we're at that age now where there's a little bit of hitting and biting between siblings mm -hmm. And we go, oh, right, come on, that that's not the best choice now, boys, is it? So on those ones, I probably do outwardly do it, but I have definitely stopped doing the, the more positive reinforcement side of it or just doing it sporadically and going like, actually, yeah, that was really nice. If it felt natural enough for me to say it rather than consciously labeling it a good behavior, if that makes sense, um, then I think that that's okay because that's just human. And we all like to, you know, have a little bit of verbal praise. And even if it's just a oh, that was, that was actually really nice. Like, Clay, those manners are beautiful. Like, where I'm really proud of that. Um, awesome work. And you can see him be really happy. But that's not all the time, so it doesn't become a, oh, it's just that thing again that happens every time I say this. I get a pat on the back or a sticker chart or whatever it is. It's the natural, joyous occasion that you're, they've, 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 I don't know, they've just done something that's made you smile. And I think that that's okay. 
I think there's room for positive reinforcement with children. I know it's mildly controversial in, in some sectors of homeschooling, but but personally for me, I'm a big fan of positive reinforcement. And like you say, it has to be authentic and it has to feel like, yes, you know, it. You know, I actually, I, I'm thinking these things. I'm not just saying them. I'm actually yeah. thinking them. And so I think it's in some ways, if you think that they've done something amazingly and you don't say it, you know, that, you know, the process and you don't say oh, how well they did something, it's almost almost tips into sort of manipulation in that you're not saying something even though you really feel it it feels a bit weird to me and also I'm a massive fan of honesty with children and I always pride myself on being absolutely honest with my children and and I think it it sort of links in with that that if I'm not saying something that I'm feeling that feels dishonest to me one other thing I was going to say actually about the whole manners thing is that I wonder whether there's an element of of us trying to create children, much as we try to create dogs, to fit into the world around them rather than vice versa. Because obviously, for example, if you have a neurodivergent child, manners is is something that maybe, why should you have to teach your child to behave in a certain way or respond in a societally acceptable way? Because surely society is big enough and brave enough to take on people and dogs that behave in different ways. But I wonder perhaps with dogs, whether there's a difference because obviously they can they can actually sort of like jump up and bite you, whereas children invariably don't, or not after the age of about five anyway. Yeah, yeah hopefully not. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it is. And I think for me, this is where, you know, I'm, I'm having to put my big girl pants on and, and start having these conversations with people and going, we need to start thinking a bit differently because, you know, all the things that we've been been saying so far, um, on, on this conversation it is we know more we we can do better we understand how the brain works a lot more and why why is it a bad thing to start questioning what we've done previously you know there's, there's so many different sectors out there and certainly for me being entrenched in the entrepreneur world and surrounding myself with business people that are doing amazing things I I kind of I'm riding on the the back of them really to have that confidence to go no actually if we don't speak up then what's going to happen like nothing and I think it is so brave for everybody listening going on their home educating journey you are doing the same thing we are we are starting to book the trend in giving you a choice and going we know better we should be doing better there are enough literary pieces out there there is enough research to support all of our decisions in choosing this this home school route yet it is still such a taboo subject and it is the same in the dog industry it is scary for people to talk out about it and go because it's so easy to just receive slander for it really and go well why should you be doing something different like a dog is a dog and this is how we've always done it so why change it but for me, it's the same concept as home education, which is why I think for me personally, the, the two tie quite nicely together. Yeah, I agree. And, and in actual fact, there's a home educators conference that's just taken place. And I was invited to do a speech and I was going to do the speech on how home education is an inherent act of revolution because it is so we are trailblazing and it is so revolutionary. So not just there's so many approaches to home education and they're all revolutionary. The very act of not putting your child into a school in itself is an act of revolution. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it is, it is fascinating. And I think there's no doubt that with so many of these things, there's pushback and there will be people who sort of question your choices. So I'm pleased to say that Joe will be joining me for a little short kind of bite-sized podcast where we will look at a particular element of your relationship with your dog and how it may enhance and improve your relationship with your child. So for example, some things we'll be looking at are things like engagement, the role of the relationship, bucket filling. You know, you mentioned having credit in your account. I think that's a really interesting one. Practicing good behaviors and limiting negative exposure. And obviously the role of patience and understanding and intuition and reading body language and those kind of things. So we'll be doing like little mini podcasts on those kind of elements of parenting and what we can learn from sort of the most recent dog behavior training, which is, as I say, advancing so much all the time that it is is definitely outstripping parenting research at the moment. So 
Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on. Do tell our listeners where they can find you if they're looking for a dog behaviorist or where they can find you if they just want to come on and chat or whatever, if you have any social media links. Yeah, great. Um, well, hopefully I haven't put you all off and you all don't think I'm an evil monster that are teaching my kids to sit down, stay with some treats in a, in a in parking lot somewhere. Um, so no, so my company is Poor Education Dog Training and Behaviour. Poor is in a dog poor for obvious reasons. Um, or you can just hit me up on, on socials under Joe Moorcroft. Super duper. And Joe will also be in our Facebook group. And I'll put up a post for this podcast as I do for all the podcasts. And she will come on, she will put her links up there, any resources that we mention in any of the podcasts as well, always go into our Facebook group in the post for each podcast. And our guests are there to answer any questions that you may have. So if you have listened to this podcast, and there are things you would like to say, good and bad joe and i have broad shoulders it's okay we can take it um do come on the do come on the facebook group home education matters and tell us what you think so thank you again so much joe for joining us today looking forward to our little bite-sized chunk thanks so much joe thank you thank you so much for joining us for today's home education matters podcast see you at the next one have a lovely day